the Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join Abbott historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Welcome to Mountain True. I am your host, Troy Smith, Associate Professor of History at Tennessee Tech University and a, uh, a native of the Upper Cumberland. I was born in Sparta and worked for a long time in Cumberland County and I've worked for a long time in Putnam County. A uh, lot of connections to this area, as many of you listening probably do, and some of you listening may have come here recently and are forming your connections to the Upper Cumberland. Perhaps you're curious about the history of the area. That's the purpose of this program, this podcast, is to delve into some of the, in some cases, forgotten history of the Upper Cumberland. Uh, we're talking today about uh, Chief, not well, not Chief Justice of the Tennessee Supreme Court, later uh, a Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Catron, who was from Sparta. And that may come as a surprise to you. It came as a surprise to me when I learned it several years ago because growing up my entire life in Sparta, I had never heard that there was a um, justice of the Supreme Court from there. I do want to take a moment to acknowledge the work of a couple of my friends and, and colleagues who have done quite a bit of research into John Catron and have unearthed a lot of the stuff that we now know about him. Uh, those individuals are Michael Birdwell, who is a fellow professor of history at Tennessee Tech, and the attorney John Nisbet. And perhaps you know one or two of those fine fellows, so I wanted to make sure that they get their proper due. In fact, the two of them together wrote um, an essay, a piece about John Catron that appeared in a book that came out in 2015 called People of the Upper Cumberland, edited by Michael Birdwell and Calvin Dickinson. Um, I had a chapter in there about Champ Ferguson and was very proud to be included in that, uh, in that collection, uh, which actually won, won an award from the Tennessee Library Association for Best History Book of the Year. So you should pick that up. All right, well, back to our discussion about John Catron. When we left off last time, I had kind of set the national stage of what was going on with Indian removal, what was going on with uh, the Cherokee Nation in particular, and a murder case that uh, took place within Cherokee Territory in East Tennessee. Uh, the murder of John Walker, who was a Cherokee man and a supporter of Major Ridge, who Major Ridge, by the way, was the one who led the group that did sign the treaty. Uh, and Walker was murdered by a, an anti-removal John Ross supporter named James Foreman. Foreman was arrested uh, by the authority of the state of Tennessee for murder. His lawyers argued that since the murder was one Cherokee citizen killing another Cherokee citizen, neither of whom were American citizens, inside the Cherokee Nation, that the state of Tennessee had no authority to arrest him to begin with, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, which had just uh, 
recently at that time, uh, and I misspoke last time. It was 1832 that Worcester uh, v. Georgia was uh, was argued. Um, the Supreme Court had established that states have no constitutional right to legislate American Indians, that according to the Constitution, that right solely belongs to the federal government, specifically to Congress. Well, that seems like a that seems like a, a reasonable and precedented argument for his lawyers to make, and the first court agreed with that. Um, it went up a level uh, to the appellate court, which overturned uh, the earlier decision and said the state did have the authority. And ultimately, it made its way to the Tennessee State Supreme Court, which was presided over by John Catron, originally of Sparta. Now, Catron, previously, uh, in his service on the Tennessee Supreme Court, had consistently sided with Native Americans, uh, specifically with Cherokees, on issues pertaining to property and property rights. So there's every reason to expect that he would be sympathetic at this point to the sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation as uh, sort of outlined by the Marshall Court. But it didn't work out that way. He sort of reversed course from his earlier stand on the side of the Cherokees, as did the, the rest of the court. So they decided, well, in his, they decided uh, against, against Foreman and in favor of the state, saying the state did have authority. And what's really important is the reasoning that John Catron gave. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court had established, as I said earlier, states have no authority to legislate over American Indians. However, Catron argued that because of this murder <clears throat> and because of the heightened friction and tension and sometimes violence taking place within the Cherokee community, between the two sides, one side wanting to sign the treaty and one side not, that they were presenting a potential danger to neighboring citizens, neighboring Tennessee citizens, that violence was getting out of hand. And when that happened, for the sake of public safety, the state did in fact have the authority to intervene. Now, this argument was really a direct challenge to the 1832 Supreme Court ruling in, in Worcester, versus Georgia. Not only was it a challenge, but it provided a potential basis to argue against that Supreme Court case. Uh, if it were to be appealed to the Supreme Court uh, and heard again, uh, this, could, you know, this could be a challenge, an opportunity to really pressure the court to, to overturn their previous decision. That didn't happen. In fact, from what we can tell, 
uh, foreman eventually was was let go and the whole thing was dropped. Uh, there's not any record of it reaching any higher. And part of the reason for that, I think this is just just my opinion. The the the, the feeling that if it did reach the Supreme Court, that instead of overturning Worcester versus Georgia, uh, it might have been ruled against, you know, in favor of, of Foreman and therefore reinforcing Worcester versus Georgia. So the challenge was put out there, though. And if you'll recall, Andrew Jackson, we mentioned, we mentioned earlier, um, refused to enforce the U.S. Supreme Court's decision that there was no authority of the states. So actually, state versus foreman and the the ruling that was made there provided a rationale to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court, not just for the president to do so, but for individual states to do so. And some, some people consider this to be sort of the straw that broke the camel's back and the justification that Tennessee and then North Carolina and, of course, Georgia used to enforce Indian removal. So that was a pretty, pretty significant ruling. Why would Catron, who had consistently sided with the Cherokees, make this radical departure? Well, we'll think about that in a moment. But first, I want to remind you that uh, you are listening to Mountain True uh, from the uh, Henson Oakley Podcast Center, Henson Oakley Family Dentistry on West Jackson Street in Cookville, which now offers Zoom teeth whitening. Well, why would Catron reverse his previous course where Cherokees were concerned? Some people have argued that it was a political consideration or uh, perhaps better put a career consideration on his part. He had been a lifelong supporter of Andrew Jackson, not lifelong, a career long though, supporter of Andrew Jackson, uh, tended to really support Jackson's positions and Jackson had the position of Indians have to go. In December of the year that ruling was made, Major Ridge and several of his supporters signed the Treaty of New Echota that basically provided the U.S. government with legal justification, in their own eyes at least, to enforce Indian removal on the Cherokees. I said in their eyes. That's because, well, the vote wasn't taken by a majority of Cherokee people. Uh, it wasn't taken by the Cherokee principal chief. It wasn't taken by the Cherokee National Council. It was taken by these, uh, it was signed by these individuals who were prominent, but were not the official representatives of the Cherokee people, which the other Cherokees used as uh, the reason that they, they refused to recognize this treaty. But it wasn't going to help them because it was going to be forced on them. Eventually. That's by December 35. Guess who was appointed to the United States Supreme Court by Andrew Jackson in 1836? John Catron. Um, 
again, some people have uh, sort of made the insinuation. I guess I'm kind of making the insinuation, although other uh, other folks might not agree with me. That that may well have been um, the deciding factor in, in his in his uh, stance on this particular case. All right. Well, what about his time on the Supreme Court? He's appointed um, to the court. Well, uh, nominated to the court by Jackson in 1836. Then uh, he was a, he was uh, approved and. Martin Van Buren was president by the time he signed off on it. So he was in the court from 1837 to 1865. So 28 years total. Why did he leave the Supreme Court? The same reason most people do, he died. While he was on the court, generally speaking, he continued the trajectory of being anti-corporation, pro-working class, um, But then a major case reached the court about halfway through his tenure in 1857, a case that maybe you've heard of, Dred Scott versus Sanford. Well, at this time, uh, by this time, John Marshall had passed away. Roger Taney of Maryland was now the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Taney was a slave owner and a very pro-slavery person. Remember that John Cachin, also a slave owner and a supporter of the institution of slavery, although earlier in his uh, judicial career uh, on several occasions, he had argued that slaves do have natural rights uh, that should be considered. Well, Dred Scott, you're probably, probably familiar with the case, but... I will take the time to, to, to describe it and lay out the background for you and tell you how Catron uh, responded to this case. But I believe we'll have to save that for next time. So I hope that you will come back and, and join us and conclude the story of John Catron, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, originally um, from Sparta. See you then. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hinson Oakley Podcast Center.